consider with me for a moment that the Bible is not just historicity and religious instruction. The Bible was divinely inspired by the Holy Spirit. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. And inspiration there means God breathed. That God the Holy Spirit breathed through the writers of the Scripture so that what God wanted said was written down. And I've noticed that the Bible gives very little consideration to the privacy of its characters. The Bible, in many places, violates the personal privacy of its characters because God wanted us to know the details of how he moves in the lives of people, both the good details and the bad. For instance, the Bible just doesn't tell us that David was a giant killer and the sweet psalmist of Israel, that he could play a harp and drive away evil spirits. The Bible also tells us that that David, the man after God's own heart, was an adulterer and a murderer. The Bible doesn't just tell us that Moses was the great emancipator of Israel, freeing them from their bondage of Egypt. The Bible also lets us know that Moses was a murderer himself and disobedient to the word of the Lord. Abraham, the great father of us all in faith, was a liar, a polygamist, and had a baby with a woman that wasn't his wife. And the scripture spares them no privacy. It exposes their flaws because it wants to teach us something about God's character and nature. It wants to teach us God likes using flawed people. If you're a flawed person in the house this morning, you are not disqualified from being used by God to do mighty things. You're not disqualified to walk with God, to have a relationship with God. And he disrobes their privacy to teach us a principle. Catch that. He robs them of privacy to teach us a principle that you can't be too dirty. You can't have too much of a rap sheet. You can't have too many things wrong with you or going against you to disqualify you from God using them. And what the Bible hopes you'll deduce from reading it is, hey, if God could use them. Look at your neighbor and say, if God could use them, surely he can use you. The other place that the scripture totally disregards privacy is when the Bible tells you what certain people prayed. Now, I think this is, this is really bad. In our generation today, there seems like there's no privacy. You can't go anywhere because every person now is a member of the paparazzi, potentially, because everybody's got a high-powered camera and a microphone in their pocket through their cell phone. And then they have these devices that they sell. It's called Alexa. I don't know much about it. But evidently, it's a microphone you can put in your house connected to the Internet that's always listening. If you would have told my grandparents, can we sell you a contraption that's a mic in your home and it'll make sure somebody is always listening? You couldn't have paid my grandparents to have one of those contraptions in their house. They would say all crazy stuff like what goes on in this house stays in this house. Because there are certain times where you need privacy. And prayer is one of those times. I don't know about you. I don't want you listening to me when I really pray. 
Like, I know we have prayer meetings at the church, and that's fine, but I'm only going to pray about certain kind of stuff when I'm in prayer meeting. When I really pray, I don't want nobody else in the room. That's when I pour out all the secrets, all the fears, all the insecurities, all the things that are going on. When I really pray, I want to be by myself. Jesus taught us. He said, when you pray, don't do it in the street. He said, when you pray, go into a closet, shut the door, pour out your heart to your father who hears in secret and the God who hears in secret will reward you publicly. We need privacy to prayer. And yet the Holy Spirit betrays the privacy of some of these people in the Bible to teach us something about God. For instance, Solomon, when he took over for his father, King David, felt so inadequate leading the nation. The king said to God, God, I'm like a little child. I don't even know how to come in or go out. I don't know how to be king. Well, that's, that's private information. I'm glad none of his rulers heard him say that. God, I don't even know what I'm doing. God, in fact, I don't even have any wisdom. Would you give me some? Jacob, the con man who had conned his father and conned his brother and was on the run for his life, he had ran out of resources and he was in want. He was in lack because you can only con people so long before you have nowhere to go. And Jacob got to a place and he said, God, this is his prayer. He said, if you'll just give me food to eat and clothes on my back and keep me safe, then you'll be my God. This will be my altar. And of all that you ever give me in my life, I'll give the tithe back to you. That's a personal, private prayer. He's bargaining with God. He's saying, God, I can't even put food on the table. I can't even clothe myself or my children. I need you to help me. And he prayed that. And even Jesus betrays his own privacy. When Jesus prays the most disturbing prayer in the Bible. Jesus, who was created and sent to be our Savior, knowing he would have to die to redeem us, Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, Father, if there is any way out of this, if there's any way that this bitter cup can pass from me, if there's any way I can accomplish my purpose without going to the cross, Father, let it be, nevertheless, not my will, and thine be done. That's a personal prayer. But God included it. He took the privacy away to give us the principle and show us what kind of people can go to God and what kind of situations you can be in and still go to God and what kind of odds can be stacked up against you and you still go to God. And he included the private prayers of all of these people just so we would know that God will still hear you when you call out to him in prayer. No matter the sin that you're in or the trouble that you're in or the distress you were in, you can always call out to heaven for help and for resources. And in every case, God responded in one way or or another and all of these prayers we just mentioned are incredible but they're coming from people we're very familiar with Solomon's mentioned in the Old Testament and the New Jacob is mentioned in the Old Testament and the New Jesus well the whole Bible is about Jesus and these people prayed great prayers but they weren't necessarily known in Scripture by their prayers they were great people who happened to pray but they weren't necessarily incredible excellent prayers that made them famous. 
Jabez, on the other hand, is only mentioned one time in Scripture. And he's only mentioned because of a prayer that he prayed. And there's some principles in this prayer that the Holy Spirit records for us that I want to pull out and show to you. Because I believe it's where God is about to take many of you in the coming weeks and months. Verse 9 says, Jabez was more honorable than his brothers. And his mother called him Jabez saying, because I bore him in pain. Again, I'll tell you, the name Jabez means painful or to cause pain. When his mother said, I bore him in pain, she couldn't have been talking about the pain of natural childbirth. Here's why. Pain wasn't abnormal for mothers. In Bible days, there was no epidural. There was no medication. There was nothing to keep them comfortable. Childbirth and pain were normal to mothers. And also, we know that this woman had had other children because it said Jabez was more honorable than his brothers. So this woman was connected and affiliated with the pain of childbirth. A better translation to understand what she said when she mentioned I gave birth to him in pain is that I was going through something when I gave birth to him. I was dealing with something in my life that was painful when I gave birth to him. And the insinuation of the scripture was he was a part of the pain. And the commentators have suggested a couple of possible reasons. Perhaps the father of Jabez died shortly after Jabez was conceived. And so giving birth to to Jabez was a reminder of her husband who had just died. He was a reminder of the pain. Or some commentators have suggested that because they had other children, her getting pregnant with another child was too much for the man. And he looked at the responsibility, and like many men do today, he ran. And so when she had the baby, she could have possibly said, you're the reason my husband left. Either case, it was the father's place by tradition in Jewish families at this time. It was the father's place to name their sons. But whether he died or he left, daddy wasn't there to name him. So his mother named him painful. Now. The Jews placed tremendous significance on the names that they gave their children. That's why they're so strange. They wanted the names to have a certain prophetic significance, almost like an arrow aimed toward the sky. They wanted to put a name on their child that would aim them toward their destiny, a prophetic foretelling of the child's future. But this woman was in so much pain that instead of blessing her baby, she named him painful. What a name to give your child. Every time you called their name, you were speaking a curse over their life. Every time any of their friends at school would say their name, they were inviting bullying and all kind of nasty name calling and stuff upon themselves. Why would you name your child? 
painful. I went to school with uh, in my senior year with a young lady that her mama had named her Jeopardy. It had a troubled life. She lived up to it. The name, the word you hear every day over your life is tremendously significant. And this yields our first point. Point number one, never name your future based off the pain of your past. I'm going to say it again. Never name your future based off the pain of your past. Jabez's mother was looking at her future when he was born. But instead of looking toward the future, she took and labeled the past over his head. And this is not the first time we've seen this in Scripture. If you go back to the book of Genesis, to one of the patriarchs of the faith, Jacob. Jacob had two wives, one named Leah. Scripture said she was cockeyed. It does. And another wife named Rachel. And the scripture said he loved Rachel more than Leah. She was the one he loved. And Rachel gave birth to two children. And the first was Joseph. And when she was giving birth to the second child, the scripture said that the childbirth was so severe that she knew it would cost her her life. A lot of women died in childbirth in Bible days. And as Rachel was giving birth to the second child of Jacob, everyone in the tent, their heart is breaking because they know that giving this child life is going to kill the mother. And as she pushes the baby out and feels her life ebbing away, she calls out and she says, His name is Benoni, which in Hebrew means the son of my sorrow. The sorrowful one. But thank God there was a spiritual voice in the tent with her. Because when Jacob heard that, he looked over and he walked over to the nurse and he took the baby out of the nurse's hand. And he said, no, his name ain't going to be called Benoni. His name's going to be called Benjamin, which means the son of my strength, the son of better days. Now, when he said this, he said it out of his spirit by faith because the woman that he loved just died. The woman that his heart was knit to and connected to just died. The Bible says when Jacob first saw Rachel that he lifted up his voice and he shouted and he cried. It was love at first sight. And when she died giving birth to this child, it must have broken his heart. I can see him there in the tent. Wiping the sweat from his brow from the hot Middle Eastern sun. Holding up this newborn baby that his wife had just died to produce. And her last words over her son and to her family was, His name is the son of my sorrow. This is the son that killed me. This is the one that literally took my life. And Jacob there with tears streaming down his face lifts up the boy and says, No, I'm hurting 
and I'm in sorrow too, and I'm mourning too, and I'm going through pain too, but I'm not going to let you name my future based off of this moment of pain because this moment has come, but one day it will go, and I cannot afford to name my future days based off of this one bad day. So out of my spirit and faith that I believe in God, I'm going to name him what I believe the future is going to look like. I'm going to name him strength and better days. And I came as a spiritual voice this morning to tell some of you that have been speaking negatively about your future, speaking negative words over how you think things are going to turn out, speaking negative prophecies, negative proclamations over what you think. I want to tell you, you have no right to name your future that. It's the Father's place, a spiritual voice to name your future. And to those of you up under this spiritual covering, I have a word. No matter how bad the pain is right now, God said better days are coming no matter how you're crying or how you're suffering or what you're going through your heart may be broken but God said better days are coming do not name your future do not call your next days after the pain of your last days because better days are ahead of you help me preach push two people say better days are coming better days better days better days better days are coming but Jabez had no spiritual voice in his life to contradict what his mother spoke over him. And as parents, we must be constantly diligent not to place our own pain and frustration upon the backs of our children. Life's hard enough. Life has enough burdens to pass around to every individual on the face of the earth. Your children will have their own burdens. They will have their own problems. They will have their own trials. They will have their own heartbreak. But when you take what you're going through and you put it on them, now they got to carry double. Double pain. Double insecurity. Double fear. A double poverty mentality. When you take what's on you and put it on them. That's what Jabez's mother did. She took what was on her. Whatever went on between her and his daddy. She took what was on her and she put it on him. So he grew up all of his life carrying double. I wonder how many people in this room sitting in here this morning are carrying double. Not only are you carrying your burdens and the things that's going on in your life, but you're still carrying burdens that mom and daddy put on you 25 years ago. Still trying to untie yourself from knots that were tied in your mind when you were eight years old. Still trying to figure it out. Still trying to understand it. Still trying to make sense of it. Because somebody put something that was on them on you. And I want to tell you, you got to break the cycle. You cannot afford to come home from work tired and frustrated and take your fears and your insecurities and all of your frustrations and put them off on the shelf of your baby. The devil is a liar. God intends that every generation would get brighter and brighter and better and better, not go further down the hole. Our children are designed to rise up and be more blessed than we ever were. But we got to stop taking the negativity that is on us. 
placing it over them. He had no one to stand up for him. He had no spiritual voice. But there's an invisible character in the text. A mysterious stranger. His name is not mentioned, but we know he's there. And we have to give credence to this character because somebody told Jabez, oh, Mr. Painful, somebody told him about the God of Israel and his ability to bless people who were going through trouble. Jabez heard from somebody. How God had blessed Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And his hearing about God and what God had done for other people produced faith in him to connect to what he heard. Number two of our points. Your faith connects you to God's activity. Your faith connects you to God's activity. God is not a respecter of persons, but he is a respecter of faith. The scripture tells us what he did in the lives of other people. So we will be moved in faith to believe if you did it for them. God, I'm asking you now to do it for me. If you healed the woman with the issue of blood, you wouldn't have put it in the scripture unless you wanted to stir my faith to believe that if you could do it for her, you could do it for me. If you brought other people out of bondage, you wouldn't have put it in the scripture that you did it for them unless you wanted me to be moved to faith that what you did for them, you would do for me. You wouldn't have brought walls down for other people unless you wanted me to believe and be moved to faith that if you brought the walls down for them you could bring the walls down for me you wouldn't have calmed the storm for other people unless you wanted me to be moved in faith when I'm in the middle of a storm that you could calm the storm for me you wouldn't have rescued other people from the plots of their enemies unless you wanted me to be moved with faith that if you can rescue and deliver them surely you can rescue and deliver me you wouldn't have blessed other people in the Bible you wouldn't have raised up on the Lord people to a mighty high place unless you wanted me to have the faith to believe that if you would do it for them you would also do it but your faith isn't active until you connect what he did for them to what he can do for you so your faith connects you I should have had them put two underlines under the word you. Your faith connects you. Say, my faith connects me to God's activity. So listen to the faith in the prayer. Oh, that you would bless me. The prayer that changed his life was not a prayer for others. It was a prayer for himself. And this is challenging because it always takes more faith to pray for you. Oh, let's talk about it, church folks. I said somebody else calls you in the middle of the night 
Their child's in trouble. You can go to praying and you can have faith. And it's easy to pray. It's easy to find the words. It's easy to know what to say. It's easy to quote out the scriptures and throw them. But when it's you in trouble, it's like all the words dry up in your mind. It's like you don't even know what to say or how to ask for what you're believing for. And with every word that's coming, it's hard to get it out because it's harder to pray for you. It's easy for me to pray for your child. It's hard to pray for mine. But he pushes past the wall of indifference that often goes along with our personal prayers. See, the problem with personal prayer is it's not encouraging. When somebody else is praying for you, their words are encouraging. You ever pick up the phone and just call somebody and say, will you pray for me? And if you've got somebody that knows how to pray, you leave the call encouraged. But it's hard for you to encourage you because you know you. And when you're trying to pray, the enemy of your soul is doing warfare to try to prevent you from asking God for what you're believing him for. He's bringing up all your issues and all your past and all the reasons why you don't qualify for God to give you what you need to the point that you feel bad sometimes for even bowing your knee and asking God when your father said, you can always come to me. You can always ask me. I included all their private prayers so you would know that no matter what situation you're in, you can always call on God. You can always reach to heaven for help. You can always pray. Somebody shout out. That was weak. Shout out. Come on, if I'm screaming today, you're going to have to scream too. Shout out. He said, oh. In other words, he's saying, hey. It's almost as if he had to climb the ladder of his own self-doubt and shout to intimidate the voices in his own mind and tell them to shut up while I talk to God. Hey! Oh, that you would bless me. Indeed. Indeed's like a Hebrew way of saying, yeah, I said it. Oh, that you would bless me. It's almost like he's battling between the voices that are challenging him, saying, how dare you ask God for blessing? It's almost like when he hears that voice, he says, indeed. Look at your neighbor and say, indeed. Oh, that you would bless me. Indeed. In other words, I heard what you did for Abraham. The son of Ur of the Chaldees, how you called him out of an idol maker's family and told him to go to a place. You didn't even give him the destination till it got there. I heard how you took a man with nothing and you raised him all the way up. I heard how you blessed Isaac. I heard how you told him to sow in a land that was in famine, but in the same year he received a hundredfold return on that which he sowed. I heard how you blessed Jacob, the con man, the liar, and the deceiver, and you changed his name to Israel. You made him a prince with God, gave him power and favor, and turned the twelve tribes of his sons into one. One nation multiplied and mighty. I've heard what you have done for other people. 
and on the preponderance of the faith that was built by hearing what you're able to do. I came to talk to you today and say, oh, that you would do it for me. Oh, that you would bless me indeed. Faith produced by hearing the word of God should always move you to ask. I'm going to say it again. Faith produced. What are we doing if we just come in here and sit for two hours and then go home and nothing changes? Faith you receive when you come to hear the word of God preached should move you to go out and put it into action in your everyday life. Hearing about a great God should move you to go to him with a great ask. But the problem with many of us in the church this morning is our ask is entirely too small for our God. How dare you go to a great big God with a tiny little ask. Tell your neighbor your ask is too small. Why are you intimidated? Just put the K on it real good. Just turn to the other one and say, your ask is too small. Got this big old God. This tiny little old ask. I like big asks and I cannot lie. Sit there and look at me funny. I said I like big asks and I cannot lie. Hate on me if you want to. I'm going to say it again because I like it. I like big asks. You better stop. I'm going to go somewhere entirely different. But the question is, are you asking? Or are you nodding your little head in church, clapping your hands, and leaving without ever engaging in the brutal, gruesome act of dragging yourself to the throne of God by faith and saying, now I need you to do it. I wouldn't ask you if I didn't need it, but I've been living in this pain all of my life and I've been carrying double burdens. I've been going through hell and high water. Now, oh God, I need you to bless. Shout, bless me. It's stuck in some of your throat. Shout, bless me. And the power is in the faith to ask. There's this old fable that floats around in Presbyterian circles. And I've heard it before, but it's been a while. I figured I'd share it with you. It's a fable. It ain't true. Mr. Jones goes to heaven. It's the name of the fable. Mr. Jones was a businessman. Kind of surprised that he woke up from his deathbed in heaven. 
wasn't real confident on the way he lived his life, but he did put his trust in Jesus. And, and he went to heaven, and St. Peter met him at the gate. And Mr. Jones was ecstatic because he didn't think he was going to heaven. He was ecstatic to be there. Oh, my God, this is how I want to see everything. And Peter's taking him through the gate. And on the outside of the gate, right before you go in, there's a huge warehouse. Mr. Jones said, what's in there? Peter said, you wouldn't be interested in what's in there. Let's, let's go on. Let me introduce you to Paul and the rest of the apostles. No, no, no. I want to go see what's in there. So Mr. Jones goes to the warehouse, opens the door. And the warehouse is huge. It's the biggest building he's ever seen with his eyes. Stacked floor to ceiling with shelves. And there's beautiful white boxes with red ribbons. What's in those boxes? Mr. Jones, it don't concern you. We need to get into the city. No, no. People's names on these boxes. Is my name on one of these boxes? Mr. Jones, I'm going to have to ask you to leave. We need to go. And by the time Peter can say that, Mr. Jones is in the J aisle looking for his box. <laughs> Finds his box. He tears it open. And he opens it. And it's the most beautiful, marvelous, mysterious list he had ever seen. And as he read it, his eyes filled with tears. He said, what is this? Peter said, it's all the things God wanted to give you that you never asked for. Are you asking every day? Jesus said in Matthew 7, ask and it shall be given. Seek and you shall find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. But James told us in the epistles, in chapter 4, verse 2, that we have not. Because we ask not. And I'm not talking about asking people either. I am talking about asking God. What do you need from the Lord? What do you want from your God? Ask. Ask every day. You ought to wake up every morning and pray the prayer of Jabez. It's short. You can say it in 10 seconds. Oh, that you would bless me indeed. Enlarge my territory that your hand would be with me to keep me from evil. That I may not cause pain. You ought to pray that every single day. And what I love about the prayer is Jabez leaves the blessing up to God. They wrote this song in the old church. Anyway. <laughs> Oh, you know what I need. You know what I'm going through. You know what I'm facing. Don't bless me with a car when I need to be blessed with a court case victory. Don't bless me with a spouse when I need to be blessed with some more time to study your word. Don't bless me with a miracle of healing when I need a miracle in my finances. You choose the blessing. All I'm asking you to do is bless me some kind of way. Oh, that you would bless me indeed. Then he says, enlarge my territory. As Jabez heard the stories of how God blessed others, he stumbled upon this principle, principle number three. It is God's nature to bless. It's part of God's makeup to desire and want to bless his people. Lift up your hands and say, bless me. Now, you're not saying that. You said that real casual. 
You said that real quick and cavalier. But you're not saying that to a preacher. You're not saying that to your spouse. You're saying that to the God of the whole earth who created everything that there is. You're saying that to the God who owns the, uh, the cattle on a thousand hills. You're saying that to God who holds the hearts of rulers and government and judges in his hand. You're saying that to the God who has all power in heaven and earth. When you raise your hands this time, consider the limitless ability he has in heaven's store to give you what you need and say, bless me. Can you feel that potential when you let your mind run? Can you feel that potential when you let your mind go and think about what he's able to do? Can you feel the possibilities that are in the room? If he started blessing you according to his own good pleasure and will, what could happen in your life if God blessed you? What could change in your life if God blessed you? What could transition in your life if God got involved? What could be healed in your life if God got involved what could be delivered in your life if God got involved that you would bless me enlarge 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 I feel that thing right there. Enlarge. Things are too small. It's closing in on me. I'm in too tight of a circle. I'm in too tight of a space. Oh, God, bless me and enlarge. Enlarge my territory. Territory is the boundaries of your life. Where you go, what you do, the circle. The cyclical habits of your daily routine and your weekly routine and your monthly routine and your budget routine and your family routine. Every one of us lives in a circle. You get up, you take the kids to school, you go to work, you come home, you go to bed, you get up, you deal with the kids, you go to work, you go home, you go to bed, you get up. Every one of us live in a circle. And the circle is your territory. And Jabez said, would you please... God, would you draw a bigger circle for me? I'm so tired of what I'm seeing every day. I'm so tired of the cyclical pattern that my life has become. Oh, God, I can't ask anybody but you. I don't have the power to change it. I don't have the resources to change it. I don't know the right people to change it. Oh, God, would you draw a bigger? The influence of my life. The pattern of my life, the happenings in my life, God, would you, would you enlarge my territory? The next stanza, that your hand, whoo, I can't even talk about it. <laughs> that, oh my God, <laughs> that, that your hand, <sighs> when you bring the hand of God into it, Oh, this guy's a prayer. When you bring up the hand of God, you're bringing up mysteries your mind can't even comprehend. It's like, it's not this, but it's like this. It's like my children at their age and their stage. They have no idea. It's a mystery to them. All of the things I do for them with my hand. 
I secure them every day with my hand. I put their seatbelt on in the car with my hand. When we get home at night, I put the alarm code on with my hand. I got a desert eagle. No, I'll tell them, in my nightstand. Should someone try to breach my doors, I can protect them with my hand. I work and provide for them with my hand. I take my credit card out and pay for the groceries with my hand. They have no idea how it all gets done. It's a, it's a mysterious thing to them. It's just the result of my hand. When you bring God's hand into the prayer, when you bring God's hand into the matter, you've invited spiritual mysteries and beauties upon yourself that your mind can't even fully comprehend. Miracles that will have you stand back and say, I don't know how he did it. I don't know how he did it. Oh, you don't want to talk to me this morning. You're tired. I said, I don't know how he did. Anybody ever had a miracle when you look back at it, you say, I don't know how he did it. All I know is that he did it. See, there's miracles that you can explain and miracles you can't explain. When God told the children of Israel to dig ditches that he was going to send the rain and fill up the water so that they had enough, they dug the ditches and God sent the rain. But they knew where the rain came from. That's a miracle you can explain. But there are miracles that you stand back and you say, <laughs> I don't know how he did it. Like when my little boy had a brain scan on a piece of paper they handed to my wife and I that showed b dead brain tissue as a result of his early birth and the softening of his skull and the uh, brain bleeding on his brain. They handed us, they said the acid in the blood causes the deterioration and the dying of those, those tissues in his brain. And they had the brain scan on a Tuesday. And on the next Thursday, they did another brain scan. And all of the brain matter that was dead on that Tuesday was alive on the Thursday. Shaking their heads saying, we never seen this kind of thing before. And I said, I don't know how he did it. All I know is that he did. When you get God's hand involved in something, God's hand can reach places no human hand can reach. God's hand can reach resources no human hand can reach. God's hand can touch people no human hand can touch. God's hand can touch cases that no lawyer can touch. God's hand, it's a mystery. God's hand, it's a wonder. God's hand, it's a miracle. God's hand, it's a power. God's hand. Oh, that you would bless me. Prayer number one.
enlarge my terror. Draw a bigger circle. That your hand would be with me. The hand of the Lord would be with me. Jabez said, you don't even have to do anything for me with your hand. Just let your hand. Fourth stanza that you would keep me from evil. Be honest with you. I'm so evil. It's going to take you to keep me from it. You may not know what that's like, but there's somebody sitting next to you that as they look over the pathology and the history of their life, all they see is evil. And they don't feel like they can do good. They don't feel like they can break their addiction. They don't feel like they can shut off all the memories of the abuse that happened to them so they keep living in it every single day. They don't feel like they can be better. So they lower themselves to depravity and to depraved ways of living and thinking because they don't feel like they can. They feel that they're so evil. And Jabez obviously had this somewhere in his heart because he said, you're going to have to keep me. You're going to have to keep me from it. You're going to have to keep me from that sin. I can't do it by myself. You're going to have to keep me from it. I ain't got no honest people in the room. You're going to have to keep me from that deceitful attitude. I got it from my mama. You're going to have to keep me from it. You're going to have to keep me from that abuse and that anger problem. I got that passed down to me from some uncles. You're going to have to keep me from it. You're going to have to keep me from that way of thinking. You're going to have to keep me from that borrowing mindset, that poverty mind. You're going to have to keep me from it. I ain't never seen nothing. You're going to have to keep me. That your hand, would, you ought to throw up both your hands and say, keep me. That your hand would be with me to keep me from evil. And that last part just breaks me to pieces. I just want to start crying for this man. Because now we see the whole motivation of why he prayed in the first place. He's trying to get off of him what his mama put on him. I wonder how many people in this room, you won't talk about it, you won't testify about it. But you're 30, 40, 50 years old, still trying to get off of you something that a family member put on you. He said, I'll never be like her. And as you get older, you start noticing ways actions, attitudes, attributes. You, you got something on you that you don't want on you? You ever had something on you that you didn't want? You ever had a label on you that you didn't want on you? You ever had a crisis on you that you didn't want on you, but it was put on you nonetheless? Jabez said somebody put something that was on them. When I was little, when I was vulnerable, when I couldn't defend myself against it, I didn't have a daddy or a pastor or a spiritual voice to stand up and cancel that mess and tell me who and what I was. When I was little, she put something on me, and I've been living with it all my life, and it affects my relationships. It affects the way I do business. It affects how I handle my time management. It affects how I make my money. 
It affects every area of my life because of what she put on me. Every relationship I get into, I cause pain. Every job I get, I end up causing pain. Every place I go, every friend I get, every interaction I have, I end up causing pain. And I've searched the world over to try to find something or someone that would take it off of me. And every endeavor only ends in more pain. Till I heard about you. So I came and excused me for crying. Excuse me for being loud. Excuse me for this first word, but oh! You hear the bottled frustration of many disappointments behind the man's voice as he reaches his head up to heaven and shouts, oh! Has it ever hurt so bad in your life that you got in the car and closed the door, made sure nobody was watching, and you held the steering wheel with both hands, and you said, oh! Does anybody know what it's like to hurt so bad that all you can do is scream? Oh! For every tear I cried in my adolescence, for every tear I cried as a teenager, for every memory of the abuse, for every memory of how I was bullied, for every member of everything that's happened to me, for every memory of it. Oh! That you would bless me. That you would do something in me that would change the rest of my story so that for God's sakes it doesn't end how it began it began in so much pain I was named after it but would you bless me indeed would you enlarge my territory would you bring your hand down the hands of man has always failed me the hands of every woman has always failed me. The hands of every company, of every friend has always failed me. But would you give me your hand? AA failed me, but would you give me your hand? Counseling failed me, but would you give me your hand? That your hand would be with me. Keep me from evil. To the end, to the scope, to the end result that I may not cause so that the end of my story looks better so that the end and future generations that come from me looks better so that my babies don't have to live with the pain that my parents put on me would you do it for me you help me be more responsible so I don't raise them with the blindness and the deafness that my parents raised me with would you help me be better when he says that I may not cause pain he 
He's speaking to the rest of his life. He's speaking to how things are going to turn out. And God, the Holy Spirit, arrested my heart and told me to preach this message today in the way I preached it. Because he said there's several people in the room this morning that are battling and in a warfare in your mind wondering how it's going to end. Wondering what the result of the crisis is going to be. Wondering how it's going to turn out for you. And God sent me to say to those of you that have been in pain, the end is going to be better. The end is going to be brighter. The end is going to be more beautiful. The end is going to be peaceful. The end is going to be sweeter. There are better days ahead of you. Some of you never had a spiritual voice to stand up and scream loudly in your ears to tell you what you are. But you are the sons and daughters of God called by His name, washed in His blood, baptized in His spirit. And no matter what the enemy is threatening you with, no matter how long you've carried that pain today, you can lay it down and see God turn pain into prosperity. So God, so God, so God, granted him what he thought. What he daydreamed. God granted him what he requested. He said, tell him. He said, tell him, Jason. Just ask me. Just ask me. Just ask me again. You ain't been talking to me. You ain't been seeking me. You've been living your life as if I don't exist. You need to start asking me again. You need to start crying tears in your alone time again. You need to start singing to me again. You need to start seeking me again. You need to start knocking again. He said, just, just ask me. All it takes is an ask, but you got to ask with faith. You got you to frame your approach with faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God preached. When you hear the word of God preached, the word of God is so authored the way it is that you would see the personal and intimate details of what happened in other people so that they could serve as a map and a model of what God can do for you and everything you can possibly think of is in the Bible and if God did it for anyone in the Bible it is his guarantee it is his signature it is his authorization that he will do it for you heads bowed eyes closed we got some work to do we got some asking to do if you need to repent before you ask, do it. If you need to forgive someone before you ask, do it. If you feel any boundaries in your heart, move them out of the way before you do it. But these altars are open right now. If you're carrying something you don't want to carry anymore, if you're dealing with a label of pain, if you're dealing with difficulties that were put on you from years ago, if you're in a crisis and you need God's help, if you're in a place in your life and you need the blessing of the Lord to move on you and minister to you, no matter where you are right now, sitting downstairs or in the balcony, come join me. Let's get on the ground and call out to God. Let's find ourselves an altar and ask of the Lord.
lift up your hands. One of the things in the Old Testament that the priests of the church were commanded to do every time the people of God came into the sanctuary was to release a blessing over them corporately as they lifted their hands. I don't care what voice has spoken to you, threatened you, labeled you, or talked to you this week. Now is the time God uses me to name you. Name your week. Name your purpose. Name how the next future part is going to go. I call you the blessed of the Lord. I call you the favored of the Most High God. I call you the increased of God. I call you a delightsome land. I speak that the angel of the Lord would go before you and make every crooked path straight. I speak that God would be your rear guard and head off enemies coming at your blind side. I speak that as you call on the name of your God and as you humble yourself in prayer to him, that he would meet you in the middle of any and every situation you face. I call you winners. I call you champions. I call you the called out, the separated, the ecclesia of God, those marked for his purpose and his name. Now never forget who you are and never forget when trouble comes and when the waves of the tide rush in. The people of God don't do what the world does. We lift up our eyes to the hills from which cometh our help. Our help comes from the Lord. We ain't perfect, but our help comes from the Lord. We got issues, but our help our help comes from the Lord oh that you would bless me indeed enlarge my territory let your hand be with me keep me from evil that I may not cause pain in Jesus name worship the Lord right where you stand Woo!